0: I'm Charlie Melcher, founder of the Future of Storytelling, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the FOSS podcast. There's no doubt that recent advancements in technology are changing storytelling at a pace that we've never seen before. However, with the arrival of every new digital tool, also comes the need to pause and consider important questions about equity and inclusion. Who's able to tell their stories in these emerging forms? And who's been left out of the conversation? How do we ensure equal access to the latest developments in digital media, as well as the knowledge on how to use them? Our guest today, an incredibly talented storyteller, Alton Glass, is working on addressing these questions. Alton's the founder of GRX Immersive Labs, a studio that is tackling contemporary issues through immersive projects, such as Time Magazine's installation, The March, about the 1963 March on Washington, where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. Or POV Points of View, a sci-fi VR series that explores AI and law enforcement. Additionally, Alton is creating an educational program to help ensure that the diverse media makers of the future are able to thrive as leaders, creators, and innovators in virtual reality and other emerging technology platforms. I'm excited to talk to Alton today about his journey from a filmmaker to a VR creator, and how he's working to make these new tools available to every aspiring storyteller. Please join me in welcoming Alton Glass to The FOSS Podcast. Alton, welcome to The FOSS Podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. So I wanted to ask you about when you realized you were a storyteller. When did that start for you? Oh, man. I mean, how far you want to go back? I would say it really started
1: when I was... a. a latchkey kid, you know, like I think I was probably six or seven years old, you know, and back then we used to come home by ourselves with a key. I couldn't imagine my kids doing that at this age now, right? I used to, you know, be home by myself and I didn't have video games like all my friends had in elementary school. So I would turn on like uh, the TV and I would watch like a NASCAR race and I would go get like an old big cassette tape and I would put my thumbs in the little holes and I would pick a car and I'll use my imagination to be, you know, to play video games and then after that, I started drawing and then writing and became a real, you know, a storyteller using my imagination. I uh, started writing comics and things like that at a very young age and then I said one day I saw um, a movie called Five Heartbeats and I just loved the performances and I was like, Last Dragon, Carl Wash, Cooley High, things like that really inspired me and I said, man, I want to know how to do that right there and uh, she I, I did a job as an extra it was this this TV movie and I was fascinated and that's when I said you know what I didn't know that I thought an actor was the one that made movies but then when I started talking to people on set they were like no that's the director right there and and they're the ones that make the movie and that's when I switched my switch um, from wanting to become an actor to directing and writing and and uh that's what I've been pursuing since I was probably 15. So it started early. <laughs> yeah, I was very fortunate to get on set. And, and, and I, was, I was raised half my life in, in Georgia, so we didn't have a lot of like production. So I had to really, really like, read newspapers and find like, hey, Ma, take me here and audition for this and, and let me you know, become a production assistant on this. And, uh, but that was the transition for
0: me. And then what was sort of the first real movie you made or, or story you made in film? When film, you know, I started off as a
1: camera operator, and that's how I learned how to shoot. Because I was directing music videos first, but I knew I wanted to transition into movies. I raised some capital to do um, my first independent feature film called uh, The Candy Shop. It was, uh, I call it, my most terrible but wonderful film I ever made. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Because it was just, get it done by any means. Uh, So I made this movie called The Candy Shop of Omar Gooding. Uh, Guillermo uh, Diaz and uh, I loved it and I hated it at the same time but I think the best feeling was when I went to uh, Blockbuster and Hollywood Video and I'm dating it now right when Hollywood Video was booming and Blockbuster and I took pictures and I saw all the facings of my film on the shelves and to actually see people walk in, pick it up off the shelf, go to the checkout line it was the most amazing feeling as a filmmaker and uh Of like, I'm committed from here on out.
0: Then you made a move to going from two-dimensional storytelling to working in virtual reality and get excited about the opportunity to tell stories sort of in 3D. What motivated that? So so I ended up directing several independent films.
1: Someone introduced me to this company called Blacklist Digital. I was in post-production on the film and they were doing this camera test at their facility and they put me in a headset. At a, at a NASCAR race, which was actually mm, full ironic. circle. Yeah.
0: And I was like,
1: <laughs> wow. Like I grew up watching these as my to, to spark my imagination. And I felt like I was like there, and I was like, what is this? And they were like, this is virtual reality. And they were like, if you're really interested in it, go check out this expo uh, called VLA. And I went to the expo, and I was just blown away by all the different experiences, the community, And I started learning VR back when, you know, you had to stitch everything manually. It was tough. It was like going back to school again. I had to become like a lab rat. I even had to intern with companies who was already doing VR. And it was like starting all over again, you know. I'm a director, but now I'm like, okay, I'll go pick up your case. Uh, I'll I'll help (laughs) put together this camera. I didn't really care. It was like, I want to learn this, and I want to know what I can do with it. And that's what helped me eventually land... Um, Agency and clients and start producing virtual reality experiences. Uh, did one for Toyota. And then it just started to continue to grow. And then I said, you know what, I think now it's time for me to shift. I made some, some money in the space, and I said, let me shift over to invest back into the narrative storytelling side. And that's when I made my first uh, immersive short called uh, A Little Love, which was about a young girl who uh, makes a birthday wish to spend more time with her mother when her mother goes back to work. And uh, she wakes up inside of her daughter's dollhouse. It's like this little toy. And I made a short film, and that's what brought my work and helped me, you know, really, really solidify what GRX Immersive Labs is, which is an immersive storytelling
0: platform for XR content, uh, immersive uh, educational experiences. Before we get into your work with education, I wanted to ask you about the experience of having gone from a director working in more traditional film and television, two dimensions, and then shifting to working in virtual reality. And any of the insights or challenges that came to you from that experience of doing both?
1: Uh, So I had to learn how to think spatially. That was the first challenge for me. Uh, And then I had to learn that it was no longer about directing the attention, but choreographing someone's attention and how I use uh, all the different elements and senses that we have. So I had to really understand how to leverage every opportunity I had, whether it was sound, haptics or or, or temperature and and understanding all light, you know, how do I use light in an experience to guide your attention somewhere? So I had to start to think about a lot more details. But that also was very rewarding because it was that challenging. So it it, it made me start to think about why is someone here, right? And how do I keep them here? And how am I going to bring them into this experience, onboard them in a great way, and offboard them too? So that's what's been different about, you know, going from 2D traditional uh, storytelling to immersive storytelling. And I think as we move into the future, you know, you can no longer just say immersive. Everything has to be automatically
0: immersive. (laughs) You then became known for doing some really high-quality virtual reality work, and now, as you described, you're starting to move into a space of education and helping to share what you've learned with others. Tell us a little bit about your educational platform.
1: Yeah, so over the the course of time, I've learned that education and storytelling, to me, are one and the same, right? You know, it all starts with the narrative, and what... Shifted it to also training was when I worked on um a project called uh, The March with Time Magazine. And it was actually produced by Bella Davis and her company, uh, Juvie and Julius Tennant and Riot. And um, there was a company that did all the uh, visual effects and things called D- Digital Domain. And that's when I was introduced to uh, Unreal Engine, made by Epic Games. And they make like Fortnite, things like that. And um, we were doing motion capture, we were doing photogrammetry scanning characters, all original wardrobe. It was just amazing to 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 go that deep into the details because, you know, Time Magazine, they're, you know, a journalistic business where everything has to be accurate to the detail of truth. So just describe for our listeners what the story of the march is. The march is a recreation of the 1963 march on Washington where they had the march about 250,000 people come together. Dr. King delivers his um, iconic... I have a dream speech. Now there were a lot of iconic people who were there, which we honor. But you get an opportunity to get up close and personal with Dr. King when he delivered that speech, and he's recreated uh, in three D, photoreal. I mean, it's 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 mind blowing what they were able to do, and they were able to take actually a, a image from that and put it on the cover of Time magazine, and you can't even
0: tell that it's. Not a real photo. It was pretty amazing, the technology. And the piece makes you feel that you are there part of the march and you're absolutely there with him as he delivers that speech. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you forget, like, when we were
1: at the exhibit, people were, like, putting their hands up. They were shouting. They were reaching out. They were coming out crying. Because you got to think, some people actually were there during that time period. And some people watched it on TV during that time period when it was happening. And you were able to like literally walk down and amongst a crowd of over 200,000 people and feel that energy um, during that period and understand what these people came to march for, which at the end, you know, Dr. King, you know, challenges you to, to, to use your voice now. And Viola Davis, you know, her voice is throughout the piece, just really championing that voice and that light. So, it, And then we had an audio
0: experience before that. So it's a full-on exhibition. So, so this is when you first got exposed to working with the Unreal Engine? Mm-hmm. And how did that affect you? What, what, what was your response to that tool? Yes, I was curious about the process, you know,
1: like directing, you know, creating the, working with the motion capture equipment and how all of those things were gonna come together, the photogrammetry, the scanning of the clothes and the actors. I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing. And I was so empowered, I said, you know what? I'm gonna open my own motion capture studio. I'm gonna develop my own Unreal Engine training program. I want everybody to get a taste of this. And that's how that happened.
0: I'm, I'm seeing a pattern here of you being willing to go back to school in effect, like start from scratch and teach yourself or learn, you know, a different medium each time and then incorporate it into your creative process. You know, not everybody's willing to kind of like get to a certain place and then, go back to start from the beginning in a new place. I just find that very inspiring to see that you're somebody who stays that like hungry and curious and is willing to take the kind of risks or put in the time to start from scratch each time to add to your creative toolkit. And I
1: think that's probably because when I was in school as a youth, I sat in the back of the class and I was a kid at the end of high school a lot of my friends and guys I knew and girls I knew uh, at graduation, they were like, oh, and here's such and such valedictorian. I'm like, what is a valedictorian? <laughs> what do you mean that they had a 4.8? I didn't even know you could, you know, and I was like, hold on a second. And I didn't really apply myself like I could have in high school. And so so I had to learn how to adapt much faster when I graduated. And I had to, like, really buckle down and, you know, become a self-taught learner. I'm not going to let this, the learning curves stop me from becoming the best I can be uh, when I have a
0: desire to do something. So that's what's fueled that ever since. So And that must be fuel for your desire to create educational programming now, right? To bring new people in. Yeah, because there's a lot of alternative learners, right? Who,
1: they might not be traditional, you know, book learners. They might be, You know, uh, learners who need, like, really hands-on. And I was that kind of kid. I needed, like, really hands-on, and and I needed to ask a lot of questions. And I'm still like that, you know. Uh, So I wanted to make a program that allowed people to lean into their strengths, uh, lean into their perspective, their identity, and not be put in a box and have to learn one way because everybody can't learn that way. They can't do the same thing. So I wanted to create a very diverse learning experience for people to empower themselves through their own lens. And that's what we use, you know, these tools for so you don't get so hung up in the technology, but understanding how to leverage the technology uh,
0: for your benefit and and to your strengths. And that's what I did. I really relate to that. I was not a traditional book learner either. I, I was dyslexic so i i really had to learn with other senses with my hands with with whatever else i could use because those little letters and numbers were confusing Mm -hmm. i think it's part of what makes me interested in the whole immersive world is that i literally learned to read with my special ed teacher having a tray of sand on her lap and i would have to say the letter um, say the sound like b b and then draw a b in the tray of sand with my finger so i would feel oh, wow. it and then i would hear her say it it was like all the senses oh, wow. that's pretty awesome. it was a multisensory experience it was how oh wow that was that was immersion before the immersive storytelling <laughs> that's really cool so who's this program for tell us a little bit more who are you trying to help educate, and what do you what are they going to learn from taking your course? Yeah, so
1: we the, the program is uh, focused on immersive media and virtual production. So you learn fundamentals of uh, immersive media, you know, whether it's VR, AR. Some people like to call it metaverse. It gives you an introduction into those aspects, and then we also tap into virtual production and understanding how. Thing, learning things about motion capture, uh, how to use Unreal Engine. You know, getting some real good Unreal Engine foundation, so you can learn how to build an idea, how to bring it to life. So most people will usually come out with like a, you know, like a short um, animatic experience, like a, you know, like pre-visualization experience, and they can use that, you know, in their portfolio. Um, and then you get that foundation, and then you can use that, and you can build on top of that, and then you can move into some of our more intermediate and advanced courses to get a lot more detailed and refined in the work that you're doing. And who are you targeting these courses to? I would say career changers, people who maybe you might have been an editor, or maybe you worked in Maya, or maybe you're a filmmaker or a producer. Uh, You know, a producer might not be the one pushing the buttons on the box. Once they come in and get an understanding of what this is, they understand how to apply their strengths and maybe go produce uh, these projects and get on set and and maybe become a virtual production producer, right? Or they might want to produce VR experiences. Or, you know, and then we also um, do do uh, college and um, high school. So uh, for high school students, uh, they get the opportunity to learn this much earlier um, as well. Because, you know, if they're playing games and things like that, they learn what's under the hood of a Fortnite, you know, and how these things are made. But yeah, if you want to upskill, we really can people who want to upskill and get
0: ahead um, and diversify their toolkit. Do you feel like there's something unique about VR and, and immersive storytelling that can help to give empathy for somebody else's perspective? Is it something that can be helpful to further social justice? I would say yes and no, and
1: I'll tell you why. And, and, and I think that, I'll I say yes because it does allow people an, an opportunity to experience something from someone else's point of view, right? Now, you know, if you want to make an embodied experience, um, you know, that could definitely have a a shift. Uh, But I also think there's a very fine line between um, sympathy and compassion, right? Because if I feel sorry for you, I'll never see you as my equal, right? Um, So you have to be careful with certain experiences that you make because then someone could come out just feeling sorry for you and not really actually feeling true empathy and compassion for a while, okay. You know, I understand and I wanna, I wanna know how we can build upon this and actually do something about this. Or I can see this
0: perspective in a new way now and, and, and have a different approach. You had mentioned when we spoke uh, last time that sometimes these types of pieces can make someone feel uncomfortable. What did you mean by that? When you are trying to achieve empathy,
1: you do want to make experiences that get people uncomfortable because then you, you know they feel different, right? They've, they've had an experience that can make them think about it now, right? Because we often feel sorry for someone, but we don't often get uncomfortable, right? And we, when we choose not to get uncomfortable, right, for that very reason. And if I can offboard you in a way that really, really gets us to have a real conversation about what we can do together, to me that's a great immersive experience, right? Because now I've taken you there. Right, I do understand why this might be happening, and I do want to understand where is my role in this, especially when you talk about social impact. Yes, getting uncomfortable, I think VR is a great, great uh, tool for that. Mm. And you don't just mean wearing the glasses on the head for too No, long. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's the, the docent's job, to make sure we are on board <laughs> properly and have a great experience, because I remember when I did my first VR Synchronized screening in the theater. There was one woman. We had 75 people synced up in the theater watching my first B.R. Short. There was one woman after everybody was clapping, who said, "I don't know why uh, everybody's you know loves this film, this experience. I didn't see anything but 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 black." And we said, "Man, what happened?" She's. We found out that um, she looked in a direction and she never stopped looking in the other direction. So the the whole experience took place where she was watching a wall and she had never looked the opposite direction because she didn't know to move. She could move her head and look around. So she watched 11 minutes of the back of the room. On a wall.
0: You mentioned offboarding, and you've mentioned onboarding. Can you tell us a little bit about how you think about those? What what does that really mean? Yeah, so so
1: onboarding now I think about it as not just the technical aspects of the hardware, but uh, how do I tell a story that, that that invites you into the experience, right? You know, maybe that's something that I might develop on an app, on a phone, right, to engage you, give you a little more more information and make it a little bit more interactive, get you a little bit more invested in the experience. And then when you get there, you know, you're, you're a part of the journey already, right? And I've given it context. And then you go through your experience. And then after that, coming out to really understand um, what, how can this, depending on what you're making, um, what's next from here, right? If, if you talk about empathy, you know, how do I... Now tap into that. You know, did I make you uncomfortable? You know, how, how am I offboarding you in a way that we can um, build off of that empathy or, or, or you being uncomfortable? What experience do I have after that for my onboarding? And we did that in, like, the March, you know, like when you came out of the experience and took your headset off. You know, we had a room where you could, you know, you know um, take a moment to just decompress. Some people needed that. And then you had, you know, additional content that kind of sh- showed you The movement that it created, other marches and other movements, and how big these movements became, uh, and then moving into different communities and different cultures, and then we had another experience at the end where you got a chance to meet a a freedom rider, you know, or or someone who was a part of these campaigns, and and, and do like an AI experience in this thing called StoryFile, where you can ask questions and things like that, so that was really, really cool, so it made me start to think about all of those different touch points of engagement, and uh, immersion outside of just the hardware of VR that i put on your head or
0: or uh, AR or whatever so i definitely think that so much of how people understand a story or their own experience in one comes from the conversations they have and the way they describe it or talk about it as they come out of it mm-hmm. uh, so that opportunity to have a conversation or at least reflect on what you've just experienced uh, often you know, is the takeaway <laughs> or... The- not to mention, you know, we're talking about virtual reality here, right? So
1: it's not like it's the easiest thing to jump into, right? So you have to really make that experience uh, uh, be really considerate of the people that you're bringing into a VR headset or this technology um, and make sure that that's an enjoyable experience because then, you know, it doesn't matter how great your experience is, they could come out and, 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 and not enjoy when they come out of that experience and kind of ruin all of that, that entire moment. And I mean like the audience too, right? So you also gotta consider, it's not like you can just market a, a movie like you don't market a movie. You're, you're building your audience at the same time sometimes and, and reaching out to people who've never experienced VR too. So you know, you wanna make sure you bring them in and you build that audience and you, and you hold on to that audience once they come out as well. That's the beautiful part about these experiences. So you wanna be considered that,
0: because you're building an audience as you go and you wanna retain them. A lot of your time these days recently is geared towards this educational programming and platform. Do you think of that as a creative act? Is that a continuation of your self-expression? Every now and then, you know, you, you know,
1: being a creative, I get a little frustrated, like, man, you know, I just wanna go shoot something, right? But I forget I have a lot of tools and a lot of a lot of, and I'm building an ecosystem where I'm still creating, but I'm just creating with more people, right? So the beauty of that is, like I just finished uh, one of our cohorts for Unreal, and I was able to hire a couple of people from that program to help me work on one of my projects with Verizon and prototype some new designs and and create some new worlds, and it was like wow, that was beautiful that I could. Now do that right, and now I'm able to build on to that, and I'm just growing an arsenal of tools that don't no longer just rely on me as a creator, but I can now collaborate with so many more people with so many more rich and unique perspectives and that they can bring to this. Um, so that's what keeps me focused, knowing that as we continue to grow, we're building a, a regenerative ecosystem of, 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 of creators who if we pour into them, they'll pour back into the things we're doing. Uh, And that's what keeps me dedicated to that space. And and knowing that I'm constantly creating, right? Uh, And I'm constantly empowering and I'm being empowered. So I'm going to be preparing to launch uh, my next project, you know? So I'm looking forward to that. And everything that I've done has been planned, moving toward that direction and fueling that, you know? So like, we have a motion capture studio we, you know we have all these resources now they're no longer they're not just for me but i can use them to to, to create my content now
0: alton is there anything that we didn't talk about that that you'd like to or any insights or thoughts that that you've learned over the years that would be great to share with other storytellers working in immersive and building
1: you know grx immersive labs has allowed me to really tap into my um, and develop my core values as a, as a business and as a creator and artist. Number one that I picked up along the way was when I transitioned from 2D to storytelling was um, the imagination is frameless, right? I no longer have to think inside that frame, that 2D box. You start to really challenge yourself to think outside the frame, right? It's, it's imagination, is frameless. Just, you know, explore, experiment, R&D, you know, try new things, fail. That was a big part of what I was doing was failing and and, and getting back up. So I would say explore that. Really, really tap into your DNA. Don't be afraid to lean into your experiences because there's a lot of people that will connect with you. And sometimes it's better to go that way because there's there's riches in the niches, right? You know, you go in one niche, you know, there's opportunity for you to build a strong audience and base So don't be afraid to not stream, swim up, you know, swim downstream with everybody, right? You might have to go in the opposite direction. I'm a creative entrepreneur, so I always kind of go back to this. You know, even if you don't want to start a business, learn how to think like one, you know, because it's going to allow you to be investable, right? It's okay to be employable, but you also want to be investable. And uh, don't ask for permission to be great. This is what I've learned in virtual reality, right? Like, Virtuality became less about a technology and became more of a philosophy for me and how I could create a new reality for myself. And that's what I did. And, and, I, and I know everybody else can, can leverage that and uh, start to, you know, shift those pixels in your universe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's good wisdom for all of us. Yeah, never too old to create. Thank you, my friends. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it Good looking out. And
1: uh, hopefully, you know, we'll tell some stories and create some experiences together. Well, I'm I'm, going to say we are going to create some experiences together. Let me put it that way. And
0: uh, thank you so much. My thanks again to Alton Glass for being on today's podcast. To learn more about his GRX Immersive Labs, please visit the link in the episode's description warm thanks to you as well for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating. Your reviews help us reach a larger audience. You can also become part of the Future of Storytelling family by signing up for our free monthly newsletter at fost.org. The FOSS podcast is produced by Melcher Media in collaboration with our talented production partner, Charts and Leisure. I hope to see you again soon for another deep dive into the world of storytelling. Until then, please be safe, stay strong, and story on.